This episode of the Whipstitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video-based community where we share tips, tricks, patterns, sew-alongs, tutorials, and ideas so that you can get better results out of your sewing with fewer mistakes and more confidence that follows you out into the world. We have live chats, we have coffee hours, we have community events, and we are launching our first annual tournament, the Tournament of Stitching, where you get the chance to challenge yourself with projects that show you what you've learned and how far you've come. We can't wait to sew with you at the League of Dressmakers. Find us online at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. Having a sewing machine is an investment. Um, recently, and for the, for the third time, my prized sweet Bernina baby, my Bernina 440, was struck by lightning. It actually got our whole street. We were out of town. Um, and we got a message from our neighbor. So sweet. Make friends with your neighbors, you guys. Like, we are, I can't, I have a whole other sidebar about my neighbor across the street who was getting ready to go to Vancouver and found out that we were already in Vancouver and sent us dining reservations or like dining recommendations for the two of the best restaurants we ate at in Vancouver. Um, and they live across the street from us in Atlanta. It was just the funny, like, get, make friends with your neighbors. It's such a joy. So one of our neighbors who lives right next door and has beautiful dogs who do um, therapy with hospitalized children, she's a lovely human being, she messaged us and said, um, you know, our houses were struck by lightning. We know ours took a serious hit because, uh, you know, their their gate, their mechanical gate was, it was fried, like it was totally toasted. She said, I can hear your house alarm going off and we're pretty sure you also got struck by lightning. We just wanted to give you a good neighbor heads up. We were so grateful because it actually had done some damage and um, that needed to be repaired. And when we got back and we're home, uh, we you do the tour, right? Like if you've ever had some sort of home emergency happen when you're not there, you do the tour and you come home and you're like, what's broken? What's And I went to turn on my sewing machine and nothing. It just didn't, didn't come on. Um, the screen was like, bing, and it was clear that it was not not functional. Luckily for me, I have a relationship with my local dealership and where I purchased the machine to begin with, and I was able to take it to their repair department, which many local dealerships have, sort of tucked away in the back, um, and ask them, will you please repair my machine? Or, you know, like I genuinely thought that I was taking it to the sewing machine coroner. <laughs> I was convinced they were not going to be able to fix this machine. So I kind of took it in there, like on a stretcher, like, please. Um, but really, uh, the fatalist in me was like, oh, my machine is done for. My sweet, sweet ride. She's no more. Um, and so I needed to purchase a replacement machine. Now, like a lot of people, when I went to purchase my replacement machine, it was an upgrade, right? That I had a 440 for a long time and it had some wonderful features. They no longer make the 440. So anything I got was going to be an upgrade. Um, I don't know how much you know about Bernina's, but they come in series, kind of like, I don't know, like a BMW. So there's like a 500 series, 600, 700. And I shopped and their top of the line is like, talk about a car. <laughs> like, the top of the line is 
very beautiful. So beautiful. Um, and I finally settled on uh, Bernina 770, which I love, um, and brought it home and discovered when I got home that the logically, it makes total sense. The sewing machine cover that I had made to protect my 440 doesn't fit the 770. Of course it doesn't. They're different physical dimensions. But it made me think about sewing machine maintenance. Here I've I've lost a machine that I loved. Um, I'm purchasing another machine that's a pretty significant investment. What can I do to maintain these machines in a way that really gets the most life out of them, that treats them like the investment pieces they are and reflects the value that I put on them. So on this episode of the Whip Stitch podcast, basic sewing machine maintenance, including a schedule of cleaning and service and the basics of how to clean your own machine at home. I'm Deborah Mobies, your host. Thanks for listening. Sewing machine maintenance is, <laughs> well, it's probably something you're not doing. Um, I know it's something I'm not doing. I do feel the need at the outset to provide a disclaimer. Um, I do. I have a lot of machines. That's kind of a you know professional uh, risk that you take when you sew a lot. You end up collecting machines. People give them to you. You find them. You, you see them at a thrift store and you want to rescue it, you know, like a puppy. Um so I do have a lot of machines. I own a serger, which I purchased in 2005 and use like the Dickens. And I, in the interest of full transparency, I'm confessing to you now, it has never once been serviced. I have never, ever taken that serger into the dealership and said, will you please give it a tune-up? I should have. I'm not going to promise I will. Um, but I do want you to, to appreciate that, I, like I'm telling you about cleaning and servicing, um, some of what I'm going to say is take it to an expert and have them do expert things. I can attest to the fact that even if you never take it to an expert and have the expert do expert things, you yourself, in the comfort of your own home, in your pajamas, can absolutely service and maintain your sewing machine to a, an adequate level that will keep it running for a long time. The thing is, a lot of us don't think about that very often, right? We, we don't even really know when to clean our machines in order to get the most out of them. Um, but by cleaning your machine more often than you're doing it now, you are more likely to catch issues before they really become problems. So I've got a little, I'm going to start with a little bit of a sample schedule for maintaining your machine, for keeping them clean. Um, and then we're going to talk about the specifics of, of how to actually do the cleaning. For your sewing machine, first, I'll talk a little bit about the serger. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not as big an expert in the serger. For your sewing machine, number one, every new project, replace your needle. And honestly, I think that's probably the most shocking thing I'm going to say in this episode. Yes. Every new project, replace your needle. Um, one of the things, and I've got, I've got a, a post about this on my blog, um, the three most common sewing mistakes and how to fix them. And one of them is 
that as you sew, your machine makes a noise that sounds like you've got a flat tire on the car, sort of a like a like a punching sound. Well, that's because that's a punching sound. It is from a dull needle forcing its way through the fibers of your fabric, through the weave of the fabric. A dull needle can cause skipped stitches, it can cause knots, it can cause broken threads. Because think about it, in, in a needle, a machine needle, there's a there's a shaft that goes into the, the actual shank, the part that holds the needle into the machine, and, and there's a point, and that point is sharpened on most needles. Obviously, a ballpoint needle for a jersey fabric is different. It's going to be a little more rounded, but it's still pointed. In the point, the needle has an eye. That eye is a hole in metal. It can become degraded. It can um, get things stuck inside it, the eye. It can get little barbs that will catch your thread and break them. If you don't sew very, very often, you sew only occasionally, and you leave a needle in and store your machine with the needle there, it can get gummy. There's oil in the machine for the motor to keep the parts moving smoothly, and that can very, very slowly seep out toward the needle, and it can be gummy, and that can be transferred to your fingers or to the fabric or, you know, to the thread. If you replace your needle every new sewing project, you will have better results. You will. Your stitches will be prettier. They'll be more accurate. You will be happier with where they go. It sounds expensive. Like I'm not overlooking the fact that a package of like Schmetz needles off the rack when you buy them a little package of five or six at a time, that can run $8. I purchased mine and I'll include a link in the show notes. I purchased mine um, bulk online, a hundred of the same size for my like regular everyday. I use a size 12 needle for the vast majority of my projects. I definitely have a stash of specialty needles tucked away, you know, like uh, jersey needles and denim needles and leather needles and, you know, very specific needles. But for most of my everyday sewing, I use a size 12. So I discovered at one point that I could purchase 100 size 12 Schmetz needles for like $26. And you do the math there and you realize they're like pennies, pennies on the dollar. I have made that one container of needles last for four years. Because again, like there are 50 weeks a year, you're probably not making one garment a week. Maybe you are, good for you. That's still gonna last two years, even if you throw away the needle after every garment. But the average person can make 100 needles last a minute. So price is really not, let's not let price be prohibitive. Let's let our experience be our guide. Part of why we sew is the joy of the process. A new needle with every project is basic sewing machine maintenance that will give you a better experience, right? Okay. Also, every time you sew, you're going to dust the outside of your machine and tidy up beneath it. If you are fortunate enough to have a sewing space where your machine stays out and lives, there's like a table where your machine lives, tell me the last time you lifted it up and cleaned beneath it. Right. Okay. So we're going to start doing that. We're going to lift up the machine and clean all the little bits and pieces. Because again, think back to the structure of that needle, right? 
that the thread is going through that tiny eye and then being shoved through the fabric. There is lint coming off the thread and the fabric. Like you think the lint is all from the fabric that you've been, it's not, it's from the thread as well. And it just gets, the pieces are so tiny, they're so tiny. Also, if your machine sits out uncovered, there's dust settling into the parts that have been oiled, which can become gummy. And when you put dust into the oil and it gets gummy, it's just a mess. So every time we sew, we're going to dust the outside when we finish. We are going to tidy up beneath the machine. You can do this with a damp rag. You can do it with a paper towel with some spray on it. You know, whatever your cleaner of choice is. We're going to clean all that up. And then we're going to put a sewing machine cover over it. There are lots and lots of sewing machine covers out there. I have a pattern for one in my second book, Stitch Savvy. You can also find that particular pattern as part of the How to Sew video series that's on the League of Dressmakers included in your membership because I genuinely believe that everyone who sews should have a cover for their machine. It's possible that you don't have a dedicated sewing sewing space, and so you have to put your machine away every time you finish. And in that case, I generally recommend that you either put it back in the case that it came in, and for a lot of people, like it came in a bag or it came, you know, like some sort of storage case, or I have seen people put it in the box, like they keep the original box with the foam, styrofoam insert, and they'll store it that way. Those are perfectly acceptable. Whatever you choose, I do want you, when you put your machine back away, I want you to make sure it's fully covered. So if it's going into like an open tote bag, let's still have a sewing machine cover over it in the tote bag. Because the goal isn't just to make it easier to carry around. The goal is to keep the dust from settling in that thread take-up lever and in your spool holder and in your throat plate. We want to keep the dust out of there. So so every new project, brand new needle. Every time you finish sewing, we're going to dust the outside of the machine. We're going to wipe up below the machine. And then we're going to cover it either by putting it away in storage or by putting a sewing machine cover on top of it. Once a month... Now this is if you're sewing regularly, once a month you're going to clean the interior of the bobbin assembly and the bobbin case. You're gonna clean the tension discs, you're gonna pop up the throat plate and clean under there and you're gonna oil all the necessary parts. First let's talk about once a month. Once a month is, I mean come on, how often are you sewing, right? If you are sewing more than once a month, we are going to do this once a month. If you are sewing less frequently than once a month, you're going to do this each time you use your machine. I know it sounds like a lot. I know it does. But the thing is that sewing less frequently doesn't actually keep your machine cleaner. Because again, dust is settling in that oil, the oil is congealing, the motor isn't getting moved and heated up as much, parts are getting stuck in place. Like, we just need to clean it. Um, and, and the cleaning that we're talking about now isn't exterior, it's interior. We're going to clean the interior of the bobbin assembly and the bobbin case. That means when you open up your bobbin case, right, especially if you have a front-loading bobbin, there's usually a little spring-loaded lever that when you pop it, the whole thing falls out and you think you broke your machine, right? 
That's what we're going to take out. That's the bobbin assembly. The bobbin case is what the bobbin goes in if you've got a front-loading bobbin. The bobbin assembly is that usually it's black plastic with some stainless steel metal around it. It's that part. We're going to take the whole thing out and we're going to clean it. If you have a top-loading bobbin, you have neither a bobbin case nor a bobbin assembly. You just have like a little area that the bobbin drops into, but that also needs to be cleaned. I used to recommend using canned air for a long time, partly because canned air is fun. But I have come around to the belief that the canned air has the potential to inject the dust and the fluff and the lint into parts of the machine where it is more likely to get stuck in oil and congealed whatever. And so now, what I advocate instead, and I learned this from a dear friend of mine, they make teensy-weensy little attachments for your vacuum. And by teensy-weensy, I mean like, um, you know the vacuum attachment that you never use that's supposed to clean off your blinds, right? Uh, Like your window blinds, and it's got like a little round brush at the end, and you're supposed to get up on the corners. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, what's that for? And my mom's like, I don't know, like we didn't use them. They make attachments like that, but the round brush is about the size of a U.S. quarter. It's tiny. And so you can bring the full force of your, you know, your shark, your Dyson, what have you, you know, your vacuum. You can bring that to bear on the dust and lint in your machine, and you'll be sucking it out rather than injecting it in. So we're going to clean out the interior, the bobbin assembly and the bobbin case. We're also going to clean the tension discs. Now, in this case, the tension discs are inside for most machines. They are invisible. They're tucked away where you can't see them on newer machines because they're inside the housing that surrounds the take-up lever. On some older machines, there actually was a hinge, and you could pop that housing open and really see the insides of your machine, including the tension discs and the take-up lever. Um, On some vintage machines, Singer was definitely one of these, the tension discs are on the exterior, and there's just a tension knob that you adjust in order to change your tension. Cleaning the tension discs is actually sort of a fun process. You take some thread, older thread that you don't care about, color's not important, and you soak it in rubbing alcohol. I have not tried this with like grain alcohol. I've only tried it with isopropyl alcohol. But you just a regular weight of sewing thread, soak a length of it in some rubbing alcohol, and you run it through the discs as if you were threading the machine. You're just threading the machine with this soaked piece of thread. It gets pretty deep in there to get whatever bits of lint and stuff are in it that can't be removed. But it does it without damaging the metal or the rest of the mechanism. You're also going to pop up your throat plate. Um, uh, I have an older machine. It's a front loader. And if I put my fingers through where the bobbin goes and push upward, there's like a little tension spring that holds the throat plate in. I have another machine where you have to use a very, 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 very tiny screwdriver, which came with the machine and I promptly lost. So I have to always go find a screwdriver. But you unscrew the throat plate in order to remove it. But the whole throat plate comes up and reveals your feed dogs above the mechanism. And this is true whether you've got a front-loading bobbin or a top-loading bobbin. 
And then you're going to see Lint in there and you think, oh, dear God, I hope no one can see me now. This is nasty. It really can get funky in there. So we're going to go in there probably also with the vacuum or your machine almost certainly came with a teensy weensy little brush with these polyurethane bristles, like long bristles. And that's what that brush is for. And that's why those bristles are so hard is so that they can go between the feed dogs and scoop out this like matted lint that kind of turns into like like a tray, like it sticks together. And we're going to clean all that out. So that is once a month. Once a month, that feels like deep cleaning to a lot of people. Once a month, we're going to go in and we're going to get rid of all the lint and we're going to suction it out and we're going to, you know, treat it with oil. Your machine also came with a tiny tube of sewing oil. If you bought yours used or vintage, or if you got that tiny tube of oil and you're like, what is this for? And threw it away, you can purchase a replacement tube of oil on the internet. My favorite one comes in a larger size bottle. A lot of times when they give it to you, it's like a little drip bottle, like a teensy weensy little container with like a dripper, a, you know, like an eyedropper. And um, the one that I love the most comes in a bigger bottle, but it has this tiny narrow plastic tubing that attaches to the nozzle of the bottle so that you can actually, like, it's like a garden hose, but it's so, it's like a, an American Girl doll garden hose. It's for doll houses, tiny. Um, and so you can insert it into the various places in your machine that need to be oiled. Your owner's manual will tell you where those places are so that you're not like squirting oil all over. Um, but you do want to get into the place, like we've cleaned them, we've even used like, rubbing alcohol, a drying agent, to clean between the tension discs. And we want to get back in there and moisten the moving parts, right? Once you have oiled your machine, you are going to, and again, it's in your owner's manual, you can Google your model, your make and model of your sewing machine and find a lot of archived user manuals. So even if you have a vintage machine or you got it hand-me-down, you have no idea where it came from, you can turn it upside down and find the make and model number on the bottom or on the back, Google that, find an owner's manual. It will tell you exactly where to apply oil on it. Probably your tension discs and your take-up lever, maybe the motor if it's accessible. After you apply the oil, do not start a new project. Do not do that. You're going to get the scrappiest piece of waste fabric that you can. The piece that if you were out of toilet paper, this is the fabric you would use. Just something you don't care about. You're going to fold it up four. So you've got four thicknesses. So fold it in half, fold it in half again. You're going to put that underneath the presser foot and you are going to sew until there's nothing coming through the machine onto your fabric. If you have oiled it, even just a couple drops here and there, it is almost certain that some of that oil is going to move down through the machine, even with expert application, toward the needle, and it's definitely going to get on the thread as the thread moves through the mechanisms of the machine. If you think about it, that makes sense. We don't want that oiled thread to be part of our project we want it to go through the machine, take the oil with it, the excess with it, and then go in the trash. So we're going to take a scrappy piece of fabric, something we definitely don't care about and aren't going to miss. We're going to fold it in half, fold it in half again, so we have four thicknesses. And then we're going to run it through the machine. I like to do that um, by kind of putting my machine through its paces. 
So I generally start on one edge as if I was using like a seam allowance and I sew in concentric square spirals so that I sew until I run out of space, I leave the needle down, I pivot 90 degrees, I sew until I get to the other edge, needle down, pivot 90 degrees, sew until I get, and keep going around and around and around. But every time I turn, I'm gonna pivot 90. That allows me to raise and lower my presser foot, which should have been oiled. That allows me to leave my needle down in case there's any oil on it that I happen to see with my naked eye. That allows me to stop and start a bunch. So all the parts of the motor are moving, stopping, starting, stopping, starting, stopping, starting. It allows me to kind of put my machine through its paces so that any excess oil that remains from the cleaning is removed, at which point I take this piece of fabric, which I cannot stand the sight of, I can't wait to get rid of it, and I throw it in the trash. And then you bathe in the sense of self-righteousness that comes with cleaning something properly. So, every new sewing project, every new sewing project gets a new needle. Maybe there's an exception if you're sewing like a hundred napkins, but I would call that one project. If you're sewing a shirt, it gets a new needle. If you follow that up with a second shirt, just give it a new needle. If you're sewing a pair of jeans, new needle. New needle. Every time you sew, or once a month, whichever is more frequent, you are going to clean out the insides. Because every time you finish sewing, you're already cleaning the outsides and then covering it up. So if you're sewing more than once a month, then once a month is your minimum. If you're sewing less than once a month, then every time you sew, you're going to clean the interior as well. Again, I recommend these little attachments for your vacuum so that you can bring it all out. You also got a little brush with your machine when it was brand new, or you can purchase one online. You're gonna clean out the bobbin case and the bobbin assembly if you have a front loader. You're gonna clean between your tension discs. You're gonna clean under the throat plate and around the feed dogs. And then you're going to oil all the necessary parts. This is your maintenance. It is your responsibility. It, you may be like me and you feel like, like for auto maintenance, I really am kind of resentful about auto maintenance. Like, I just want to get where I'm going. I don't like do stuff. I am a little resentful about auto maintenance. And so I will leave that light on forever. I don't feel that way about my sewing machine because my sewing machine feels more personal to me. There are other people who are vigilant about auto maintenance. They never miss an appointment. They are watching that odometer like a hawk. And they're not paying attention to their sewing machine maintenance, right? So that is the purpose of this episode, is to expose you to these ideas. At least once every two years, I really do recommend taking your machine to your local dealership. Once a year is great. The problem is that most dealerships, there are so few of them now, um, that most of the time it's about a one month wait in order to drop off your machine and then get it back. I try to time mine for when I know my family is going on vacation. Like if I know for a fact that we're going to be gone for a week, two weeks, I would love to have my machine in the shop while I'm gone. However, I very often run into last minute sewing right? Like it's a nice idea to say, I'm going to drop it off before we leave. But I was up sewing until 1am the day we left and that kind of made it hard to drop off. So at some point, you're probably going to have to bite the bullet and be without your machine, which is why I recommend at least every two years 
Um, because being apart for one month out of two years, that doesn't seem too unreasonable. The other reason I think two years is a good interval, two years or, or less is a good interval, is that I want you to have a relationship with your local sewing machine dealership. I think it's important to you to do that. I know it's important to them. There are so few of them left. It is our dollars and patronage that keep them in business and alive. Um, you may have a dealership near you that is not your brand. That's okay. My local Bernina dealership services other makes and models of sewing machines cheerfully, gleefully. They did my Stinger Featherweight there not too long ago. Um, they're happy to help you. They don't always advertise sewing machine repair. They know that you're going to walk in the door to drop off your machine and be like, ooh, those machines are new. They know that. I And I believe I've never been told this by a dealership, so I'm not putting this on them, but I believe that's part of why sewing machine repair has remained so affordable, despite the fact that the market is so spare. There aren't a lot of people doing it, but it still is like, I don't know, 80 bucks for a full, full checkup, standard checkup and maintenance. Um, very, very reasonable. It depends on where you live, but it's totally worth it. You drop it off. They give you a new needle. They clean everything. If your machine has a sewing machine belt, they'll replace the belt. It's included in the price. Like if there is something going on that it's not doing right, they'll fix it. They can run computer diagnostics. Um, if you've got a missing part, they can give you a replacement part. Like I took my machine in one time and there was a crack in the extension table and I had just made my piece with it and they just replaced it with a new extension table. They were like, here you go. This model is discontinued and we happen to have this in the back and now it's yours. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, so having that relationship where you recognize the people who work there, you can ask them questions. You know that if you're like, like maybe it's next to your regular grocery store and you're having a hard time. You can walk in and say, listen, my machine's not with you, but it's doing this. Do you have any idea what that might be? And they can help you self-diagnose. That relationship is so important and it helps you feel like you're not in it alone. It really is. Even if you're only there once every couple of years, you know, like you get your hair cut more often than that. Maybe, maybe let's make a relationship with our dealer, right? So, so that's definitely the recommended interval. Every new project gets a new needle. After every new project, we clean the exterior and then we cover it. Once a month or every project, whichever is more frequent, we're going to clean the interior and apply oil. And at least once every two years, we're going to take it in to see the pros. That is your sewing machine. Now, if you have a serger or an overlocker, it's a little different. It's not a lot different, but it's a little different. Um, every time you sew, every time you sew, you're going to clean beneath the machine, and then you're going to open up the access hatch where you thread your serger, and you're going to clean the interior because there's so much lint, right? Um, I used to recommend doing that every two weeks, but that was on the assumption that you were sewing very frequently. I really believe you should be cleaning the interior of your serger every time you use it. And I say that having never had my serger serviced, that I really have amped up my personal maintenance because I knew I wasn't taking it to the pros. Um, once a month or every time you use your serger, whichever is more frequent, you're going to run that thread soaked in rubbing alcohol through the tension discs. Basically, you're going to thread the machine with alcohol-soaked thread. 
Like think of it as a cocktail party, but for your serger. That way you catch anything you've missed. Sergers by definition, because they have two blades that are both cutting while the machine is sewing with two needles. Like there's just a lot going on. And so it's really important that we make sure to catch all of the fluff that's floating around. Once every four months, I think Martha Stewart is the one who recommends this often, take it in for regular maintenance, including cutting blades if you're a heavy user. Once every four months with a, four, with a one month wait to me is excessive. So I, I honestly, I never, I've never taken it in. So I can't really, in all honesty, recommend an interval for you where if you don't take it to the dealership, you're going to die. That's not going to happen. Um, but I, I do think I should have been taking mine in once a year, at least once every two years when I've got my sewing machine in. Now, the alternate idea, and this is a suggestion that occurred to me while talking with my members at the League of Dressmakers in one of our coffee chats. One idea is um, if I've got a serger or an overlocker and I feel comfortable sewing a project, a knit fabric project only on my serger, you could take your sewing machine in to be serviced and leave it. And when you go back to pick it up four weeks later, take your serger in to be serviced. So that in those four weeks, you can sew knits only projects using the serger. And then when the other machine comes back, your sewing machine comes back, you can sew projects that don't require a serger to finish the seams on the sewing machine. There's an idea. And then you're on the same maintenance schedule with your dealership right? So you're dropping off, you're picking up and dropping off, and then you're picking up in the space of two months, you've gotten both your machines serviced. And then when the service notification comes, it's not like you're going every six months, because now you're on this weird schedule, you're still going every other year. Um, you're just taking both your machines in to get it done. Now, this may not be the schedule that you choose to regularly follow. I know plenty of folks who clean their machines every time they use them. Um, maybe that's because they don't sew very often and they know the machine is going to be stored and they want to store it clean and oiled. Um, maybe that's because they sew very often and they've got lots and lots of lint and dust. Um, I also know people who never, ever, 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 ever clean their machine. But I have seen a lot of machines come through that have lived other lives. I've purchased a lot of vintage machines. Every vintage machine, every used machine I've ever purchased has gone straight to the dealership for a tune-up. Because taking the best care of my machine it will help it last longer. And it is ultimately less expensive when you maintain it than it is to buy a new machine. It's true even if you have a lower end model, like maybe you bought an entry level model sewing machine, it still, maybe even more so, needs to be maintained in order to really last for you. Um, so, you know, my grandfather was a carpenter for five decades and always, always said, buy the best tools you can afford. When you buy cheap tools, you spend double because you have to replace them and it isn't half the fun. He was right about that. The other thing he said was, take care of your tools. Because once you've invested in it, you, that truism about, you know, you spend double on the cheap ones, it's not a truism if you spend double on the expensive ones because you didn't take care of them. You also have to maintain them, right? 
The other suggestion that I will make when it comes to care and feeding of your sewing machine is use the best thread you can afford. I actually did like a microscopic study. I didn't do the microscopic study. I looked at photographs that someone else took under an electron microscope of various brands of thread and wrote a blog post about it. Cheaper threads are made from shorter staple yarns, right? Like um, the length of the actual fiber that is spun into the thread is, is not as long. And so they have all this microscopic lint that comes off of it. It sheds all over your machine, both where you see it and where you can't. So I used to get tons and tons of, of just like fluff on my throat plate, right? So as it was going through the machine, I was getting all this fluff. I thought it was from the fabric. It's not. It's from the thread rubbing against the thread guides and the eye of the needle. So bits of it are flying off. Imagine if that's what I see on the exterior, what's happening on the interior of the machine. Better quality threads have vastly less fluff and less breakage. They not only treat the interior from your machine better, but they last longer in the project, right? So you're better, your actual sewing is improved by using a better quality thread. Um, again, no endorsement because I'm not being compensated in any way, but I purchased Guterman thread because when I did that microscopic study, that was the brand that held up best. I also like Mettler threads. I think they are lovely. Um, and Aurifil is a wonderful brand, particularly for quilting, because it is readily available in a wide range of weights of thread. So those are my three preferred brands. If you're not using those brands, that's cool. But please understand that you will need to clean and maintain your machine more often if you are using a lesser quality thread because it's going to make more lint. I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope that you are taking good care of your sewing machine so that your sewing machine can take good care of you. As always, what I want for you is joy in your sewing so you can get better results with fewer mistakes and more confidence that follows you out into the world. I hope you have fun sewing. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Whipstitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video-based community where we share tips, tricks, patterns, sew-alongs, tutorials, and ideas so that you can get better results out of your sewing with fewer mistakes and more confidence that follows you out into the world. We have live chats, we have coffee hours, we have community events, and we are launching our first annual tournament, the Tournament of Stitching, where you get the chance to challenge yourself with projects that show you what you've learned and how far you've come. We can't wait to sew with you at the League of Dressmakers. Find us online at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com.